Escape Pod, 286. March 31, 2011. The 76-Gold Dime by John Medai. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. On this week's show, coin collecting. Wait, wait, come back. There's nothing boring or trivial about it. Collecting coins can be a great hobby. It allows you to develop and refine skills in identifying, selecting, discriminating, classifying, and arranging items. Many people collect coins to earn their livelihoods. Hell, some people even do it to earn multiple livelihoods. And through the very act of applying and honing your skills to distinguish and evaluate something, you start to become, in a sense, a specialist. And what's better than having a specialty? (laughs) Having immortality. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Mario. We bring you The 76 Goldwater Dime by John Madai. John's previously had short stories published in The Doonstief, Pseudopod, The Three-Lobed Burning Eye, Everyday Weirdness, and The Drabblecast, and this story was previously published in Res Aliens magazine. The story is read to you by yours truly. So listen and handle with care. It's mint condition, and it's story time. The 76 Goldwater Dime by John Madai. I started in 1962. That's when I became a numismatist. You know what that is. It's the study of... Well, it's not the study of anything. It's coin collecting is what it is. I was ten in 1962, and Christmas I got my first coin album. I didn't actually get it. My father gave it to my brother. It was, you know, you've seen them, a sturdy cardboard folder with slots punched out that you put the coins in. Behind the slots, the empties, it had a backing of blue felt. I remember that. My dad gave it to my brother, I guess maybe thinking it would straighten him out. But coins, you know, they don't really have that power. He wasn't interested. He gave it to me. Me, I was interested. The album was for Lincoln Pennies, 1909 to 1959. I had five cents in the world then, and each of the five fit in the slot. It only took me five more days to get the other 45. I would do anything for those pennies and slot them in their slots. Anything. When I got my last penny, wow, it was a 1943 steel mint penny, a steely. They had to use steel instead of copper that year because they needed the copper for all the bombs. I was so proud. From then on, it was just coins for me. My life was coins. I was hooked. They had their hooks in me, boy. When I was just 17, I moved by myself down to Washington, D.C., because I got a job there in a coin shop. That was my education. I lived in a one-room dungeon in a crummy neighborhood. I loved coins that much. You know, and I do all right. I made my living. I own my own house. I don't live in debt like everybody else does. That's what coins did for me. Coins and a specie and a speck. I don't care for paper money. It holds nothing for me. Me? I'm a specialist. I know generalists. I do business with them. I have to. And speculators, sure. You do what you need to do to survive in this world. But me, I'm a specialist, and my friends are specialists. I'll give an example. I have a friend. He died. But before he died, his specialty was pay toilet tokens. I mean, have you ever seen a pay toilet in your life? I saw some once in Europe, but I don't even know if they have them there anymore. 
Anyways, this friend of mine, he spends his whole life collecting these tokens, these coins, for pay toilets from around the world in every age. He finds the obscurest pay toilet tokens there are, and they're his. And then he dies alone in his apartment with these thousands of toilet tokens around him. I mean, that's the way to go. I mean that. To have these objects of joy around you. To you and me, they're not objects of joy. But to him, they are. You know, not everybody gets to have that. It's not something that everyone receives. To have such pleasure from these things, these old things. But he does, and I do. Because, see, we're specialists. Not everybody understands that. Other people I know, you know, have their special collections. Anything you can think of. Any given thing, and there's some guy like me out there who's obsessed with it. I know people. You meet a lot of interesting people in this business whose specialties are Depression-era wooden nickels or peep-show tokens or misprint coins, error coins, or brokage. That's coins with mirror image stamps on both sides. Or obverses. Or godless dollars. You ever seen a godless dollar? Those are dollar coins where the in-God-we-trust part got left off. Now you see, I got respect for that. Those are people with specialties. They're connoisseurs, like me. Not any old crap will do. I'll tell you what I mean. I have a friend. He's not a friend. He's a guy I know. And his collection, if you want to call it that, his collection consists of nothing but 1938 pennies. That's the year he was born, 1938. What I mean is, what is that? Is that a specialty? Not really. It just seems so crude. Do you know how many pennies were minted in 1938? Neither do I, but it's in the ballpark of 200 million. This schlub has 3 million, I think, in his collection. Think of that. 3 million 1938 pennies in rolls lying around. That's no specialty. I mean, I think he also has nickels and dimes and quarters from 1938. But still, I do not consider that a specialty. I consider it some sick fixation. I have no understanding of that. That is not what I do. My specialty... My specialty is the rarest of the rare, okay? I mean, I have collections, and I have collections, but my real collection, the only one that's not for sale, <laughs> that's not in the vault. I'm not even going to tell you where I keep it. Guess how many coins I have in my collection? Guess. I have 12 coins in my collection. That's 12. I've been doing this for coming up on 50 years now, and I've amassed 12 coins. Now you understand my mind. I brought them here. I got them in my fireproof, waterproof, idiot-proof box just for you. I brought them to show you because I happen to know that you will not shoot me and stab me 36 times and run off with my pretty little coins. Besides, I paid more money for the lockbox than I paid for all the coins. So, that's where we are. Allow me to reveal to you, at long last, my specialty. Okay, this is item number one. This is Exhibit A, okay? I got this in 1981 in my change for a fish sandwich. I kid you not. Don't smudge it. It's mint. It's pristine. It's almost uncirculated. But in another way, it's very extremely circulated. First, before I give this to you, tell me, who is on the dime? Very good. FDR is on the dime. Has been since 1946. Now look at this and tell me, who's on that dime? Yes, He's wearing glasses. FDR wore glasses too, but not when posing for coinage. Who is he? No, it's not Truman. Look closer. Recognize him? That's Barry Goldwater. Look, it's him. Yes, I am fully aware that Goldwater was never president. Thank you, Mr. Historian. But that is him. And that is a 1976 dime, and he's on it. Now you see. 
Now you see my specialty. How did Barry Goldwater get on that dime? I don't know. That's not my province. My province is getting that dime and change for my fish sandwich and recognizing it for what it is and keeping it forever. That's where I come in. Sure, it could be a hoax. Anything can be a hoax, but I don't think it is. Because, besides me, nobody's looking. Because nobody cares. That's a lot of trouble to go to, to hoax me. And who's to benefit? Sure, there are lots of hoax coins, joke coins. It's an entire industry, especially in China. But for Chinese coins, usually, mind you. And you ever see a hobo nickel? Lots of specialists love those. I deal in them regular. They were big in the 20s and 30s because of the buffalo nickel. You remember that one. Beautiful coin, had a big fat buffalo on it, and on the other side a big Indian head with feathers and braids. Replaced the Liberty Head in 1905. Well, what would happen was hobos would get these nickels, and because they had lots of time on their hands, I guess, they would take these coins and carve them, actually carve into the nickel. They would give those Indians beards, stubble, floppy hobo hats, give them cigars, and some of these things, okay, they're works of art. So meticulous, these guys. They were true artisans and craftsmen, and these nickels would be little Michelangelo's. Now, you ask, could somebody have put some glasses on FDR, altered the face a little, and put that 76 back into circulation so I would get it back when I ordered a fish sandwich? They certainly could have. But what you have to understand is this. Those hobo nickels, the good ones at least, they take weeks and months of intricate painstaking work, scrapping and filing and carving. Once you're done with a thing like that, you don't put it back into the system that wouldn't appreciate it or know what the hell it was. This is something to be kept and treasured and sold. Plus, the hobo nickels always have signs, telltale signs that they've been altered. I've been staring at coins continuously for half a century. You think I don't know the signs? Carving the coins like that affects its width, the measurement of the bas-relief on the portrait. Believe me, I've measured this thing to the micrometer from every angle a thousand times. It's spot on, dead set perfect. Nobody's that good. Not even a top of his game counterfeiter. And no counterfeiter would put on a guy who's lost the election either. Not even as political commentary. No, <laughs> this is real. I'm convinced of that. I've even had it tested, and guess what? It's even radioactive. Calm down. <laughs> it's not deadly. It's in a mylar bag. It's just more radioactive than the background radioactivity is for such a thing. It's not fallout, for God's sakes. Don't worry, it's not going to mess with your sperm. What's it worth? <laughs> it's worth ten cents is what it's worth. It's worth everything. That's not the point, is it? It's only worth something if people want it. And nobody wants it because nobody knows it exists. There's no market for such a thing. No market but me. Why? Because people aren't looking for it. You get a numismatist like me. He takes a hard look at every coin he ever gets. He looks at the date stamp. He looks at the quality, the mint mark, the ridges, the condition, the corruption. He looks for errors, misprints, double dyes, uncentering, omissions. You know what he doesn't look at? He doesn't look at the face of the deceased president. He doesn't look to see if George Washington's ponytail has grown in the intervening centuries. He's seen it a million times. He isn't interested. Me? I look. Me? I see. So no, nobody else is looking for this thing. It's not worth anything. It's just me. That's what makes it my specialty. Okay, okay, let's forget that for now. Let's move to exhibit number two. Take this. Yes, this is a 72 Kennedy half dollar. Yes, that's Kennedy on it. But look at that face. Look at how wrinkly he is. 
No, that's not wear. That's not metal fatigue. Metal doesn't wear like that, believe me. I know. That's in the stamp. Which Kennedy is that? That's not John F. Kennedy. That's Joseph P. Kennedy, his father. Look at it. Sure, he ran for president. An anti-Semite. That's what they said. I'm not going to argue about it. Give it back. Okay, item three. 1927 Penny. Lincoln's supposed to be on it. But who's that guy? Look at that beard. That's John Brown. Number four. 1944 Quarter. That guy on it? Eugene V. Debs, the commie guy that ran for president in 1900. Can you imagine America with a commie president? Okay, hell with it. Look at the rest here. Huey Long Nickel, 1958. William Randolph Hearst, Silver Dollar, 1969. Robert E. Lee, three-cent piece from 1888. Don't be stupid. There was no Confederate money in 1888. 1965 dime. That's Lindbergh on it. 1992 quarter. You know who that guy is on there? Roy Cohn. Took me forever to figure that one out. 1935 Penny. Barnum, the circus guy. That one might actually be a forgery. The zinc plating, it's a little off. Anyway, 1986 nickel. Got Herbert Hoover on it. One of the most hated presidents of all time. How'd he get on a nickel? And lastly, okay, look at this. This is the prize of my collection. 1998 quarter. Who's on it instead of Washington? That's Benedict Arnold. I swear, before all that is holy. You know that son of a bitch was a war hero before he turned traitor? So that's it. That's my entire collection right there. Nothing else to show. This is my specialty. You see here in my life. What does it mean? I don't know the meanings of things. But you know, if you think about the guys who could have been president but weren't, except for Hoover, I mean, that's their commonality. What I think is that... Maybe travelers left these coins here. I didn't say aliens, did I? I said travelers. What I mean is people who travel from other dimensions, alternate histories, that kind of thing. It's a real thing with physics and quantum mechanics. I'm a scholar. I read. No, I don't know exactly how they work. I didn't say I did. Who am I, Mr. Wizard? But you're telling me if you take it as a given that there are such dimensions and that guys can travel through them, then what? He's going to check each and every coin he's got in his pocket for the historical relevancy of the dead white guy on it. Every time he buys gum or a pair of shoes, people don't work that way. Believe me, that's the thing with coins. They're the one thing that everybody's got, but nobody sees. Or maybe there are no travelers. Maybe the coins themselves are the travelers. Coins get around. Maybe they're small enough. They fall through the cracks on their own. Maybe they plunk down of their own volition onto the sidewalks and in cash registers, world to world to world. I don't know. So there you have it. That's my specialty. Alternate reality coins. This is my niche. What'll I do with them? <laughs> what is there to do? I don't know. I don't know, but I do. I'm going to be buried with them. That's what I'm going to do. They're not for anybody else but me. They're mine now. Thank you, fish sandwich. You know I have no kids. I can't help thinking the coin thing has some connection with that. Besides, even if I did, do you think they'd be capable of appreciating this? I don't think they would. They wouldn't understand. No, they're coming with me. These twelve coins, all in the breast pocket of my best suit, with me in the grave in their little mylar bags. That's where they belong. These are what I love.
Everything else can go to hell. I love coins. I'm not ashamed of it. Everybody should be so lucky as this. I don't feel that I was dealt a bum hand with this obsession, what you want to call it. I don't think I was shortchanged in any way. <laughs> Get it? Not shortchanged? <laughs> anyway, you know, I, I think that that's what you're supposed to do in this life. You find something you love, and you never let go. I think that that's the secret. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Makes me want to look a little closer at my change in the future. Wait, is that Scott Bayo's face on my yen? Maybe not that far in the future. All right, let's hit some episode feedback with associate editor Bill Peters. Take it away, Bill. Hello, faithful listeners. I'm happy to report only three of you are bent on the destruction of the galaxy this week, which is a marked improvement from prior weeks. I'm here with feedback for episode 278, written on the wind by David D. Levine and read by R. Merlafferty. Written on the wind was about deciphering a message from a seed race. Ignoramus said, This story reminded me a lot of the sort of arrogance about humanity that comes across in a lot of SF. Admittedly, it's a lot more uplifting to read a story where, for example, mankind has caused the universe to be how it is, or where the alien invaders can't take us out so easily because of how much faster our technology progresses than theirs, but sometimes it feels a little silly to me. I don't mean this is a criticism of the story. I really liked the story. But just a reflection on our tendency to put ourselves at the top of the food chain and the technological dog pile in a lot of our fiction. As Guardian said, The message at the end had me groaning as well. The thought that the human race evolves to be so advanced that they can collapse the universe and recreate it with rules of physics of their making is so human-centric. It's like believing the entire universe is revolving around the Earth. It's a very limited point of view. I will say that the details in the story were great. I was drawn into the story despite the predictability of it, and felt there was enough detail and well-thought-out backstory that showed the author's skill at storytelling. I think the linguistic elements were well-thought-out. I did not really want to dive into the debate, but I can forgive a lot of the linguistic criticisms it has received so far. And that's it for this week. Tune in next week for episode 279, Conditional Love. Thank you kindly, Bill. All right, folks, you know the drill. It's the end of the show, but we'll be back next week, so long as we have the support of generous listeners who enjoy the show. If you fit into that category, please consider going to escapepod.org and clicking any of our donation options. Your kind offerings help us pay authors for their work. We really, really appreciate whatever you can give. Okie doke. Remember, Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our theme music is used with the permission of Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes from the great Stephen Wright, who said, I have a hobby. I have the world's largest collection of seashells. I keep it scattered on beaches all over the world. Maybe you've seen it.
sitting at home alone reading Jeff Vandermeer and wondering if you could ever meet him? Is your framed copy of The City Not Long After waiting for an autograph from Pat Murphy? Did you always want to go to Wisconsin? But it's too far away because you live in the Bay Area. Are you a science fiction fan looking for a friendly, literary, fun, and fabulous science fiction convention? Well, look no further. FogCon is here for you. FogCon is a new science fiction convention premiering in San Francisco this year. March 11th through 13th, 2011. Honored guests include Pat Murphy and Jeff Vandermeer. And there's even a guest editor, Anne Vandermeer. Hey, do you think she knows Jeff? <laughs> the convention will be haunted by a ghost of honor, Fritz Leiber. <laughs> there will be all the usual great convention stuff. Panels, readings, a dealer room, parties. And some new interesting stuff, too, like a poster session, a do-your-own programming session, homemade beer, and possibly even a karaoke night. Remember, March 11 through 13 in San Francisco, fogcon.org. It's the weekend after Potlatch. Come for Potlatch, stay for Fogcon.